Hello and welcome to the official podcast of Solid Ground Church, where every week we share messages recorded during our weekly gatherings in Lewis, Delaware. If you have questions or if we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now, let's get to this week's message. Well, how are we doing, 1030 service? We doing all right? Oh, man, we're going to have some fun. Or we won't. I don't know. But one of them, hey, look, uh, do me a favor. If you have a Bible, open up to Acts 9 is where we're going to be this morning, Acts 9. Can I just really quick, can I just tell you a story really, really fast? Um, so I, I, I preach sermons a lot. And uh, last service, this is how you know you're not on your game. When, so, when somebody comes up to you after the service and just goes, are you okay? Um, <laughs> And it started, that's why, like, by the way, if you're watching online or, or later or whenever, we're thankful that you're doing that. It started, I'm going to just, like, if you want to see it, you can, you have to the end of the day, because I'm going to make sure that this just gets obliterated on the internet. It started, I couldn't remember where we were in the Bible, and I'm just like, Acts 9, 10, we're, uh, we're in Acts, like, I don't know what it was, the coffee had set in or what. Uh, we are in Acts 9, um, why are you turning over two quick things I want to recognize because it is a holiday weekend and there are two holidays that I want to make sure that we give special attention to. First one, it is Memorial Day weekend. Um, and I, I guess we can woo that, right? Yeah, because here's the deal. We live in a country that has come through sacrifice, great sacrifice. Men and women have given up their lives uh, so that we can enjoy the freedoms that we do and we are so thankful for them and what they have done. Yeah. Um, and so look, it's, it's right and good to enjoy yourself this weekend. Enjoy, maybe if you have the day off of work tomorrow, uh, enjoy yourself. Have a hot dog for sure, but don't, sorry if you're vegan, uh, have a vegan hot dog. Um, but, but, but don't forget why you have the freedom that you do and honor those who have sacrificed for you. Um, second, yeah, second, second uh, holiday, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, today is one of my favorite Christian holidays. It is Pentecost Sunday. Yeah. In case you're like, I haven't heard that one. You're like, we know Christmas, we know Easter, we know Dasher, we know Dancer. But, um, <laughs> but Pentecost Sunday is when we celebrate that the Holy Spirit, who is the member of the Trinity, who is on the earth right now, who is with us in this room, uh, he was poured out onto the church. Everybody who believes on Jesus receives the Holy Spirit. He empowers us for life. He empowers us for ministry. And we are so thankful that the comforter, the Holy Spirit, that he has come. And today we celebrate that. Can we give it up for the Spirit of God today? Yeah. Don't act like you didn't know we weren't going to do that. Yeah. Um, so, and, and it's right and fitting uh, that, we, that we celebrate because, you know, we are in the book of Acts. And Acts 2 is a story when the Holy Spirit's poured out. We've been going through the book of Acts uh, all year. And one of the reasons we've been doing that is uh, two of our values as a church, we say we are a church that believes in being rooted in the word. Uh, we believe the scriptures are our final authority for all matters of life, doctrine, and practice. But we also believe in being empowered by the Spirit. That is to say that as we read the scriptures, we expect that a faithful reading of them will lead us to believe that we should encounter the God that they talk about. And we believe that God still heals, that he still speaks, that he still does the miraculous, that he still gives gifts. But what we don't want to do is, in believing those things, we don't want to give way to things that are maybe just based in tradition or superstition. 
uh, we want to do what the Bible says. And so we're going through the, the book of Acts because Acts is a, the story of when the Holy Spirit's poured out and what that looks like. So that's why we're doing this. Um, and so here's where we've been in the story. Uh, the church has begun and long about Acts uh, 7, uh, persecution breaks out. It starts with um, the apostles, the, the first leaders of the church. They're flogged, they're beaten, they're jailed, and then they're released. But then in Acts 7, uh, there's the first Christian martyr, a guy named Stephen, right? And Stephen was a good guy. Uh, he, but in his faithful witness of Jesus, the people that he talked to couldn't handle it, and they stoned him to death. They took rocks through them and, and, and killed him. And the story of the, the martyrdom of Stephen ends with this weird detail where Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, he, he makes this note that as people are going to kill Stephen, they leave their coats or they leave their stuff with a guy named Saul, a young man named Saul. In other words, they go, Hudson, like, he's trustworthy. He's got our back. Saul, watch our stuff. Well, we go kill this guy. And Saul goes, yes. Says that Saul approved in chapter eight. Says that Saul approved of their killing him. And when we learned about Saul, what we learned was that he was zealous for uh, what he thought God was about. He, you know, very zealous in the traditions of, of Judaism. He was a Pharisee, but his zeal led him the wrong way. Um, not being Jewish did this, but like his misinterpretation of what. Uh, the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible said, led him to, in his fervor, begin to persecute the church in anger, violence, and fury. He becomes the main opponent of the church of Jesus, right? And so he's, it's like uh, in, in uh, Acts, it says that, that he was breathing out murderous threats against the church. In other words, it's this word picture of he inhales and exhales a threat against the church. That's how frequently he's, he's just violently opposed to the gospel. He's putting people in prison. He's seeing people be martyred for their faith. And then one day in Acts 9, this is where we were last week, as he's traveling the road to Damascus on his way to jail more Christians, the risen Lord Jesus appears to him and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul, who was a Pharisee who made his living talking about God, is for the first time in his life uh, at a loss for who God is. And so he says, who are you, Lord? And Jesus says, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And in this moment, Saul's life falls apart, and, and he becomes on a pathway to becoming a new man. In fact, later on, he'll be called Paul, the Apostle Paul, who ended up writing uh, about a third, a little bit more, uh, of the New Testament. So when we talk about like, radical life change, and so we're going to pick up uh, in the middle of the story that we started last week. And so he's heard this voice. He's seen the risen Jesus. He now realizes, man, I've been completely wrong about all of this. And it says this in Acts 9, starting in verse 7. It says, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but not seeing anyone. So they, they heard what Jesus said to him. They don't see anybody. Verse 8, Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So he's, now, he's been stricken with blindness. Physically, he has manifested what's happened to him spiritually. He's been spiritually blind, but now in his body, he is physically blind. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days, he was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. Well, he's so heartbroken, he begins to just fast. Man, everything that I've known is wrong. In fact, what have I done? Just think about that. Like if you're carrying the weight of, man, people have died because of what I've done. I've been so wrong about it. I mean, he's just absolutely heartbroken. And he's thinking through, like, you know, where, where, where do I even go from here, right? And then what happens is, while, while Saul's world is rocked, the story now jumps over to a different space to a guy named Ananias. And I love Ananias. The reason I, I think he's just great is, is because it's easy to think that, like, when, when you're reading the, the book of Acts, it's easy to think that, okay, like, it's the apostles who do stuff for God. 
But Ananias, it's going to call him a disciple, and it doesn't mean he's a disciple of Jesus. It just means he's, he's a generic, he's a Jesus follower. I like this because I think it's good for us to remember that it's not just those guys that do the ministry. It's not just those guys who are empowered. It's not, hey, the man of power for the hour comes into town this week and prays for the sick. No, like if you're in Christ, there's no such thing as JV Holy Spirit. Like we all have the spirit of God. And so let's just watch and see what God does with this disciple named Ananias. And so verse 10 says this, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas. And it's not Judas Iscariot who killed Jesus. Judas is a common name back then, like John, you know? Okay, so go to Judas uh, on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So two things really quick. Uh, Number one, just catch how the Lord's like, right now he's praying because Jesus is acutely aware of where he is and what he's doing. Do you just know that? Do you know that God hears you when you pray? Like even times, you know, heaven is silent. Like, is he? Okay. Second thing, yeah, he hears you. Second thing, he, he goes, and a guy named Ananias is going to go pray for him for his sight to be restored. Like the expectation of that. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I love this verse 13. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Here's why I love this detail, okay? Because essentially what Ananias is saying is, Lord, are you crazy? Okay? Like, because sometimes it's easy when we read Acts, it's easy to think of them as sort of superhumans who always trust and always know exactly what God is up to. Ananias is in the dark, and he has no problem telling Jesus that. So he's like, so he, he's, he's like self-preservation. Like, God, you are asking me to sign my own death warrant right now. Like, if I'm going to go pray for him, it's going to go very badly for me. I'm sure none of us would have an issue with this either. But for sake of argument, just pretend that you might put yourself in Ananias' shoes. And so this is what he says. Like, Lord, are you sure about this? In verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. That's just the language of that. Um, it, like chosen instrument. Like think of, you know, whether that be like a tool like in someone's hand or like an instrument that you play. Regardless of what Jesus is saying, is my hand's gonna be on this guy. And what he's gonna do, he's a Pharisee. He's the most Jewish of Jewish. But I'm not sending him to the Jews. I'm sending him to the Gentiles. Wait, what? All right. And he's gonna, and by the way, we're here because the Lord did that. All right? Okay. So uh, he's my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. In verse 16, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And that's incredible as well because um, if you, I mean, we will go through the book of Acts, but if you were like, if you're an overachiever, you read ahead of us or you read uh, the letters of Paul, you know how much he suffered for the name of Jesus. I mean, it's a lot, dude. Beaten at one point, the point where the only reason he survives is because they thought he was already dead. I mean, he's wrongfully imprisoned and jailed so many times. So many of his letters are written from prison. I mean, he's scourged, he's whipped. I mean, like, he just, he goes through it. And the thing that strikes me is that Jesus says to him, okay, I will show him what he must suffer for my name. In other words, before any of it happened, Jesus told him that it would. Which means the following, I just want you to catch this it means that he agreed to it before he did anything. 
That, like, that, okay, none of this was a surprise that Jesus said, hey, you're gonna follow me and it's gonna go very badly for you at points. Now, let me ask you, um, in this age that is about us minimizing pain and suffering at all costs, to the point where sometimes we think that if we do suffer, it means that God has forgotten or abandoned us. Um, if the Lord were to say to you, hey, this is what I want you to do, and it's gonna go very badly for you, but I want you to do it, would you go? And don't answer that glibly. Oh, yeah, I would. Okay, really? I mean, really? Just sure. Because it's, it's a difference in theology. Like, we, we, we think of suffering as a gap in God's care, but for, for Paul, it's an old friend to the point where he'll say, listen, I delight in sharing in the sufferings of Christ. For him, it was a means of knowing God. Okay, as, as he suffered, okay, I, I, I get to depend on the Lord even more. Wow, this is what he went through for me. Okay, then I'll walk through life in this way for him. I just want to bring this to you because, brothers and sisters, what I don't want to present to you is a feel-good version of the gospel where, hey, following Jesus means it never costs you anything. You don't lose relationships. You get everything that you want. And you also get to go to heaven when you die. That's a very you-centric gospel, isn't it? No, at points, it will cost you things. At points, it will be awkward. At points, you'll lose relationships. At points, you may suffer physically for it. Um, and what I want you to know up front is, and what Paul would say is, it's worth it. But you need to know that it, that it happens. Okay? So, this is what he tells him. Look at verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, and I, I imagine that he knocked. I don't imagine like Ananias like, was like, boom, where's Saul at? Like, I don't think that happened. Um, but regardless, okay, like he walks in and answers it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, look at this phrase, brother Saul. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're gonna come back to this verse, but just first the deal of it, brother Saul. Um, those two words are so impactful because, let me say it like this. So um, there's a show, like, you know, everybody here in our church, you know, like one of the things that we give you in the church for free, we, we bought this thing for you called Right Now Media. It's like Christian Netflix, right? And they got kids shows on and stuff like that. Uh, one of the shows on there that I've watched with my boys is called Superbook. You ever watch Superbook? Superbook is basically, it's kids who travel back in time to Bible times and they experience their friends with the Bible characters and like they, they see the stories through, through child's eyes. It's cute. I kind of like it, you know? I'd probably watch it if I didn't have kids. So anyway, um, one of the episodes, uh, they go back in time to this moment when Ananias goes to pray for Saul slash Paul. And the show, like, because they're trying to create entry points for kids, they create a fictitious first century Christian kid. I forget his name, but you know, he's there with Ananias. And this kid hates Saul. And the reason that he hates him is because Stephen was his friend. Okay, and so this whole time, this kid's wrestling with, like, like we can't pray for this guy. Like, he's our enemy. And like, he did this terrible thing to Stephen, right? Um, and, and that's fictitious, but I don't think it's unrealistic. In other words, Ananias, he, first of all, he already knows about Saul, He's lost friends because of what this guy has done, right? I mean, like, listen, 
for Saul slash probably part of the church means they're going to have to like to overlook some legitimately bad things that this guy did. Now, we, we, we look at the story and we thank God for Paul and we forget that like, no, he did terrible things. He did things that like, are we really just going to let that slide? But here's Ananias from the jump looking at him and he's going, brother, brother. Now, here's why I just want to bring this up, okay? In our age of where it's really easy to spiritualize our own lack of spirituality, Right? I mean, think about it, like, we'll, we say this, you know, John Ortberg in his book, The Life You've Always Wanted, he, he pokes fun at this house. And we'll use the phrase, I love you in the Lord, to legitimize our own lack of love. Right? Like, I love you in the Lord, but I don't like you. You know? And it's easy, just as long as I just put a like, nice little spiritual language on it, I can ignore the hard things and ignore the ways where I'm out of alignment with the Holy Spirit. Okay, here's why I'm bringing this up. We're just baseline. At the jump of this guy coming to know Jesus and it taking a whole bunch of forgiveness on the part of the church. Can I just ask you a question? If you're taking notes, write this down. Um, is there anyone that you would be mad at God for forgiving? Because if he does, it means they get away with it, right? Like, is there anybody that, like, if it were to come down into, well, you're telling me God's not going to hold, but they, but they did against them? Because they've done terrible, like, do, but, but you know what they did? Right? And some of you smile, oh, no, I don't. No, praise God, I'm, I'm happy you're in that place for the rest of us human beings. Okay? Anybody that, okay, if, if, if God were just go, hey, we're going to let that, we're just going to wipe that away. Oh, yeah, probably many of us. You know, what do we do, right? Because on the one end, we want to be receivers of God's mercy. And yet, we don't want him to give it to our enemies. All the while, we forget that we are probably the villain in someone else's story. Can we, can we own that? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure, may, like, I'll just say for me, okay, Pastor Burt, there are people that I have hurt in life. I wish I hadn't, but I don't have a time machine. Okay, and I'm happy to receive, the, and I'm, I'm unworthy to, but I'm very grateful to receive the grace, mercy, and compassion of God to cover my sins because they're my sins. But this guy or this girl, what they did, what they said, hold on, God, let's just really think this through, right? And maybe what they, anyway, Bert, you understand, like anything I've done, was, it couldn't compare how do you create that scale? Like, again, not saying that what they did was right. What Saul, cert, what, what Saul did certainly wasn't right. And yet, it's God who's the one who's ultimately be wrong, been wronged, who's never sinned against anyone, right? And he's the one who commands faithfully over and over again in the gospels, hey, unless you forgive them, my father won't forgive you. Okay, so if he's the one who's been most wounded, if he's the one who's been most wronged, who are you to say, well, their sin is worse than mine? Like, according to whom? And the, and, the, and the thing that we've got to wrestle with and struggle through is, listen, okay, again, nobody's saying it's okay, but will you walk in the same way that Christ has walked for you? And we say, all right, listen, again, it's not that I'm, I'm going to always feel good about the person, but I will choose not to hold what they did against them. If I can tell you this, I will choose not to call in their debt. 
That's what forgiveness is, right? It's an outstanding debt. You owed me a treatment. You owed me this experience in life. You didn't give it to me. I'm going to make you pay. Well, forgiveness is saying you owe me nothing. There's a story uh, I just want to read to you. I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, Corey Ten Boom. Corey Ten Boom, some of you have. Corey Ten Boom uh, wrote a book called, most famously called The Hiding Place. Uh, her and her family, they were Christians, but uh, during the era of Nazi Germany, they would actually hide and protect Jewish people from the Nazis. And uh, eventually they were found out and caught. Uh, Corey's father was sent off to a uh, concentration camp. Uh, her and her sister Betsy were sent off to Ravensbrück, uh, which is another uh, camp where Betsy ultimately died from uh, sickness, malnutrition. Uh, and, but Corey survived. Uh, her camp was liberated and she was set free and she began to travel through Europe and proclaim the gospel to a broken continent. And she would also do, I mean, it's it incredible. Like she's from Holland. She would create uh, homes for Jewish people whose lives have been destroyed by the Nazis to get their lives rebuilt. I mean, like she just cared so well. And she tells this story of a time where she was speaking to a church in Germany. It's about 1947. And she says this. She says, and I'm gonna do my best to not do an accent. I hear it in my head with an accent. <laughs> last, last service, I started to slip into it and they were like, is that, is that French? I'm like, no, I just, uh, you know. All right, I'll do my best. She said, it was 1947 and I had come from Holland to a defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they, they needed to most here in that bitter, bombed out land. And I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe it's because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind. I like to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. And the solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, and in silence gathered or collected their wraps, and in silence left the room. So you got this picture. She's spoken. It's been like everybody's staring, and they just get up, and they, they leave. She says, and that's when I saw him, working his way forward against the others. One moment, I saw the overcoat and brown hat, and the next, a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. A man is walking towards her who was a guard at her camp. She goes on to say, now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. So his hand stretched out. She's coming with every excuse possible just to work in her purse so she didn't have to shake his hand. He would not remember me. Of course, how could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. He was saying, I was a guard there. No, he didn't remember me. But since that time, he went on. I've become a Christian. 
I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein. And again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I whose sins had every day to be forgiven and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. And so she, she's walking with people through life as they forgive. And now here she is being slapped in the face with all of it. And still I stood there, she says, with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. So, Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. I, I can lift my hand. I, I can do that much. You supply the feeling. So, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder and raced down my arm and sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. And for a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner, and listen to this, this is how it concludes. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Amen. She calls him brother. That's not unlike Ananias in this moment, right? Brother Saul. Um, hey, just think about that for a second. Like that small act of obedience, I will pray for this man. I will make him my brother. How many generations, how many billions, billions with a B of people have come to know the Lord because of Brother Saul? Oh, yeah, like... Let's not forget this gospel, the first Christian leaders didn't want it to go to Gentiles. Most of us. And it starts with Peter, and he has to get account for it, but, it, but it's Saul, it's Paul, who has to like, actually take this to the known world. How many people are made different and lives saved because of this one moment? And can I just ask you a question, okay? Like for the ones struggling, with, they did this, and I can't let it go. Can I just ask you a question, Okay. Have you ever just stopped to wonder, what could the Lord do with your forgiveness? You ever thought about that? 
Like, okay, like if you think of it as this feeling, this one isolator, many isolated with this, this person and these events, and it's, and it's confined to your life. Have you ever thought about what God could do beyond your life for generations to come? And it seems like, like a big thing to you now. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's a big ask, isn't it? What have you thought about from the lives that are beyond your own? Man, what would happen if I'm, they don't deserve it, but I didn't deserve what Jesus gave me. I'm gonna make sure, all right, hey, I, I, I let this go because the Lord loves me and he loves you too. What what I could do? I mean, how many, how many testimonies could he create with your forgiveness? Have you thought about that? What lives could be saved? I mean, marriages put back together, people coming out of addiction, like families being built up, children coming to know the Lord, like what God could do with you just simply saying, I choose to cancel this debt. I mean, how many generations could be impacted? Should the Lord tarry? No, we don't think about that. What we think about is just simply what they did. And what we do in the process, and you just know this, by the way, we're not hurting them, we're hurting us. The person that we gotta forgive, usually they do not care. And if they confront them, they'll minimize and what have you. And so I hold on to this, right? I'm not injuring them. I'm injuring me. Think of the way it's eroding my faith. It's eroding my character. It's creating a duplicitous witness. I mean, when I say undermine faith, I mean, literally, that like, hey, I'm saying that the God who loved me so much and stepped into the world for me can't change my heart to love them like he does. Really? My view of God is that small? Do you see? Listen, it's so much bigger than that situation, which is why it's such a big deal, which is why it's the prerequisite for your own forgiveness. It's why you can't be stingy with God's grace and mercy. Because it's so much bigger than you. And so back to it. Acts 9, look at it again. He says, Brother Saul, okay, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here. Um, just, okay, fun little theology geek out moment, okay? Just really fast. And you're like, why is this gonna matter? It's gonna matter because good doctrine matters. People prey on you with bad doctrine and people prey on Christians being uninformed about what they actually believe and what the Bible actually says. So just one single notice right there. He calls him Brother Saul before Saul has done anything. Because people like to prey on Christians with workspace salvations. Do these things and then you're in with God. But he's already a brother, isn't he? Has he been baptized yet? But he's a brother. Oh, so you can be saved before you're baptized? Apparently. Uh, has he taken communion yet? No. He's a brother. Has he witnessed? Has he gone to the world? Has he cleaned up his act? As far as we can tell, no. He's done jack squat other than be blind in somebody's living room and pray. But he's a brother. Okay. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, and I just praise for him. And then look at verse 18. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. Why baptized? Because he's saying, I'm all in on Christ. Like baptism is not what saves you, but it's you telling the world that, okay, just as Jesus gave up 
all of himself for me. I choose to die to me for him. I go down under the water. It's symbolic of me dying. I come up into new life with Christ. This is why every Christian should, not might, should be baptized, okay? I would take it a step further and I would say to you, if you've made a profession of faith and you have not been baptized, you're walking in disobedience because Jesus commands it, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Okay, now, well, do I really have to? Well, I don't know. Do you want to follow Jesus? Or do you want him to follow you? Like, if he says to do it, you should do it. Well, I don't want anybody to look at me. Everybody looked at him. I, I can get wet in a tank. All right. So Ananias, who's a disciple, who's empowered by the Holy Spirit, pray for this guy. He's healed. And look at this, verse 19. After taking some food, he's talking about Paul regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And you talk about a pivot. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Verse 22, yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And I love this because we see right now from the jump, so he, he's been all in on persecuting Christians and now he's all in on proclaiming the gospel. What God has done is he's taken the unique way that he's wired Saul and he's just redirected it to the right healthy place. Now here's why this is good. Um, some of you, you think that the unique gifts and personality stuff that God made you for are hindrances, and they're not. I'm not saying everything about you is good. Maybe there are some things that need to be refined. Um, but sometimes what we think is, okay, I'll say it like this. Some of you, you're blunt and you're bold. Change none of that. Change none of that. Maybe learn tact for when you should say it. But, but look, not everybody's wired that way. I mean, Paul, he's a, he's a bold guy, isn't he? And man, you, you couple that with the gospel, oh, things are happening. Some of you, you're more nurturers by nature, right? Like you, you like to put your arm around somebody and you're gonna walk them through life. You're gonna soothe wounds. You're gonna help. You're gonna, you can sort of, sort of tell where somebody's at. You're not quite sure why. And, and, and you go, oh, I'm just too sensitive. No, you're not. Don't change that. Use it for the kingdom. You understand? Like it's not, the mistake to make is like that it's always, this is what a Christian personality looks like. Well, there's Christian godliness. There's Christian morality, there's Christian maturity and wisdom, but don't rob yourself of the unique identity and calling that the Lord gave you for the sake of socially conforming. Okay? All right. And so here he is, night and day. As we're about to see, it turns out that Saul, who had made a name for himself killing Christians, when he goes to his violent friends about this, they don't take kindly to it. Who would have thought? And so it says this, verse 23, after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers, my dude is so like after it right now, the people are already just coming out like, tell me, what is this you believe? All right. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. And when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him 
not believing that he really was a disciple. Like, you see how Acts just reeks of authenticity? Like, I mean, we saw this in the Gospels. Like, when you're in the Gospels, like, how the Gospel writers have no problem making the disciples look bad sometimes. And that makes sense if the story's true. Not if you're trying to give yourself your own credibility, right? But here's, but here's the apostles, and now the apostle. Paul is there, like, are we sure about this guy? But they have good reason for thinking it, right? Because they know his history. And so they're like, this, this is probably a plan where he wants to kill some of us. It says this, verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus, okay? So here's what's happening. Barnabas, who, fun fact for you, if you remember, Barnabas is not this guy's real name. His real name is Joseph. Barnabas is his nickname because Barnabas means son of encouragement. In other words, Barnabas is that guy that's always in somebody else's corner who's always building them up. Barnabas is why Paul's in the church. Check that. You're like, man, I'm not the boldest person, but I'm good at calling out the strengths that I see in people. Turns out God uses that. Because we're all one family, all one body, all different gifts, right? Okay. All right. So Barnabas brings him in and they go, oh. And Barnabas is going, guys, he has at personal risk over and over again, after a long amount of time, been risking it for the Lord. What exactly are we afraid of with him? And he points out how Saul has shown an about face. Now, here's why this is important, okay? I do just want to say this to you, all right? As we've been talking about forgiveness, you need to forgive from your heart. Boundaries are a good thing. And so let's recognize that before they allow him in, he's shown that he's different. Okay, this is really important. Because when I talk about forgiving, it, like, if, you just, if you've suffered abuse, what I'm not saying is that you should put yourself back in the sphere of your abuser. I'm not saying that. All right? What I am saying is you can't hold what they've done against them in your heart. You understand? And when you see this, like just sober judgment right now. Oh, he did this? Okay, he's actually shown that he's different. All right, we'll, we'll talk. And I would just say it to you as well. Like if, you, if you come from a destructive situation, it might not be good for you to be alone with a person. Boundaries, they're good, okay? And so it says this in verse 28. So Saul stayed with him and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. So he's off to a great start. And when the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. And so basically, remember the people he's, he's having a hard time like joining they love him now. They've, they've like connected so much. They're actually guarding his life. And they send him out. Because they don't know what to do with the guy. <laughs> He's just such a good witness that they can't let him die. Like, we've got to protect this dude. Let him go keep talking. All right, so they send him down to Tarsus. And then the, what the story does is it actually wraps full circle from Acts 7. So remember the great persecution began with the death of Stephen, right? Okay, and what's happened? Like, so there's been martyrdom. Christians have been scattered. And this guy named Saul has been persecuting the church. But now Jesus has reached even him and changed him and provided for and taken care of his bride, the church. That's why verse 31 says the following. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. And there's our end of our story. That's the full resolution right there. God turned Saul into Paul. 
And what we're going to see this guy do, you guys, like when somebody is an instrument of the Lord, oh my gosh, it's going to be good stuff. So I tell you what, as we wrap up, I just want to pray for us. Let's pray a few things. Number one, how about we just pray? Some of us, as we've been sitting here today, uh, are feeling some conviction about a lack of forgiveness, right? I'm not going to pray for the Lord to give me a feeling. I'm going to pray for the Lord to give me strength to make a choice. And we're going to trust him to supply the feeling as we do that. Okay, so what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is choosing not to charge the person's debt, but to cancel it. It's choosing not to hold what they did against them. It's choosing to let it go. Hey, can I just say this to some of you? It's choosing not to repeat the story over and over again for the sake of drama and pity. If you're going to let it go, let it go. Okay. Um, so we're going to pray for that. And then here's the other part. Let's just acknowledge um, that the Lord reaches people we wouldn't expect. And maybe you've got some Saul's in your life. Maybe you've got some people, they've been an opponent to your faith. They've been an opponent to the gospel. Maybe they're friends, maybe they're in the community. Let's pray that the Lord reaches their hearts as well. Because huh? he loves them. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for being you. Lord, we are people who acknowledge our sinfulness by choosing not to forgive. And we do. We repent of that now, Father. We are sorry for our faithlessness. We are sorry for being not like Christ and maintaining a debt that you yourself wish to cancel. How dare we? But Lord, you see what they did. And you see the wounds, you see the pain, you see the hurt. And so I pray, number one, that you bring us healing. And now, Lord, you say in your word um, that you've not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So with trust and faith in the Holy Spirit, we ask you, Lord, for the strength to forgive. We choose, in the name of Jesus, not to hold what they've done against us. While you're still praying, I command every devil of hell that is capitalized on us through unforgiveness to leave in Jesus' name. If that's been that unclean spirit's doorway, we close it in Jesus' name, we renounce it, and we command that thing to go. Hmm. That healing come now in some of your bodies. Maybe you've got a back thing, um, and you didn't even realize that this was connected, but as you choose to forgive, the Lord just heals that back now in Jesus' name. Hmm. Maybe it's a diabetic issue, and... Uh, I know this is weird and sounds simplistic, but, but it's been a spiritual thing for you. And as you let that go, we command healing to come into that body from the diabetes in Jesus' name. Or we choose to let it all go. We let it all go. Lord, we pray for the Saul's that we know. We pray for them. Would you make them into Paul's? Would you reach them with the light of the gospel and save them?
Please save them. And Lord, would you give us um, the discernment and clarity of knowing what to say and when to say, but we're going to trust you with them, not our own performance. But we acknowledge, Father, if you want to use us, we say yes. Please save. Please bring them from death to life. This is a miracle of the Holy Spirit. So we pray for miracles of heart change and healing. We pray for miracles of salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.